this is Mighty Oaks, a programme about age. I'm Owen Hanlon and this week episode 6 titled Checks and Distances, in which we talk to sports people, one who's overcome adversity to go the distance, the others, well, they're playing a sport that isn't a sport, officially. For her 50th birthday on the 18th of January next year, Elona Madden will run 50 kilometres to raise money for a good cause. I was looking at different uh, options for the route and some things were out because I was, it's too risky with the weather in January. So um, a route I like um, is basically from Bray along the coast into Sunnymount. Um, it's a beautiful route, you're near the sea all the time. And it's also near the Dart, so I can have people joining in and out. Alona's 50 at 50 event will be one of her biggest running challenges since she returned to the sport in 2007. Alona says that every time she runs, she's reminded of how lucky she is to be capable of it. It reminds me that when I was 21, I was in a car crash. broke the second collarbone and I was just very very lucky that I'm not in a wheelchair it's just something that I always you know every now and then just have to remind myself how lucky I am and often when I go out running and something hurts or I have a pain here and there I just it gets me through that I say Ash, I'm just so lucky that I can be out and that I can run and and that alone is, is probably another motivating factor for, for going out there. It's just like it's, it's in ways of saying thank you, you know, thank you that I'm still happy, healthy, uh, fit, that I can do that, that I can run. Alona's remarkable recovery isn't complete in that she is in pain most of the time but says she refuses to let it stop her running. As well as the perspective gained from her recovery, Alona has gained a sense of perspective about her age. When you turn, whatever, 21, 30, 40, there's always something, time to reflect on your life, I suppose. And I'm definitely in a much better place than I was at 40. I, I hate it. Like, I just did not want to turn 40. I was like, really had a problem with my age then. And I think at 40, I was more kind of looking at life, oh, what have I done? What have I achieved? You know, what should I have done or be by now? And it was like more looking at the things I hadn't, that I didn't have. I don't know, there was just a turning point, let's say about mid 40s, where suddenly it doesn't matter anymore. And it was like, it got to a point where I just, you know, kind of say, I just enjoy the rest of the life I have, rather than worrying about what I should have done or not. 
I think maybe there is something like that I also want to show. I'm not old, 50 isn't old. Maybe that's a little bit as well that I kind of, you know, it's, first of all, it's never too late to start something, I believe. And maybe I can motivate somebody who, who thinks 50 is old. You know, maybe some younger people who say, well, if she can do it at 50, why, you know, maybe I can do it. Yeah, maybe I can, by doing something like that, motivate people who never thought of doing it to even just take it up or run a few miles with me or kind of go back into it if they stopped. Um, maybe some other people to, maybe I can motivate them to run a bit longer than they would feel comfortable with. The cause that Alona's 50k run is meant to help is one with a particularly personal resonance for her. So the charity that I'm, I'm doing it for is the Martin Kadaya Fund and uh, Martin had an accident a few years ago and he's paralysed um, from the fifth vertebrae down. And, um, but he's quite amazing um, in that he's trying to find a cure and he believes that there is a cure for paralysis. And he attends uh, conferences and goes to places and he's now also gone uh, to, to Trinity College to study the, the module in medicine about um, neuroscience to just to try and understand it all um, but he's also amazing I mean shortly only a few years after he did the Dublin Marathon by that friends pushed him in the wheelchair and he did a triathlon and they all helped him and uh, so that I always thought that was very inspiring and so just that what he does is, is quite amazing. To find out more about Ilona's 50 at 50 event, just search online for Ilona Madden and click on the mycharity.ie link. The event will begin at half nine on the 18th of January in Bray. You'd probably agree that running counts as a sport, but deciding what is and isn't a sport can be difficult. One sport in particular requires only the slightest of physical movement, but the most intense mental and physical effort. My name is Ed Patford Simons and uh, I've been playing chess for over 40 years. I'm secretary of the Elmount Chess Club and uh, I play on one of the club teams and um, I also uh, am involved in the Irish Chess Union and the Leicester Chess Union and I, I coach some of our underage Irish teams as well. Uh, one of my big regrets was that when I was in my 20s I was studying at night so I gave up playing for eight years and then I came back to it when I was around 30. Typically you find, and I've noticed in my own club as well, that sometimes people play actively into their 20s, then they get hitched or they start having children of their own. 
For years, when I was working as a hairdresser, I couldn't play at the weekends because it was the busy time in the salon. My name is Peter Cofola, I'm 50, almost 57 years old, I'm a member of Fibsborough Chess Club. So it restricted my chess terribly. I was only playing maybe 20 competitive games a year. I'd play in the leagues, which was about 10 midweek games, and maybe one or two tournaments. And then as a result of that, because I couldn't really progress, and I'm very competitive, I gave it up for a few years, and then I got married and had kids. You do get people who sort of take a, a midlife exit from chess and they come back later on when they have more time or when their children want to play. And it was only really when I opened my own business that I was able to create enough free time to start playing again and take it seriously. And I've been playing consistently now for the last 20, 25 years, I suppose. a typical chess game in a competitive tournament you might have maybe four hours for the game and that's really effectively two hours for each player uh, and you have a clock uh, a chess clock with two faces on it so when I make my move I press a button your clock starts to tick and if at the end of the game uh, if one of the person's um, time runs out they can lose the game generally unless they haven't got enough material to get a checkmate left at that stage so when you get down to the last four or five minutes of a game it gets very, very competitive. You have to think very quickly, you have to press the clock very fast, and you have to really, really be completely focused on the game. It's like two armies facing each other. You have to get your army out onto the battlefield. You have to examine your opponent's moves. You have to defend against them, and yet you have to plan your own attack. Hello, I'm Eamon Kyo, um, and just to say that I've been playing chess now since 1958, and... I've been Irish champion. I've played for Ireland all over the world. Now I'm still involved in chess, but in a teaching and in an administration role. So uh, when you see your own plans working out and you get quite excited about it, that's fine. But it's also a very nervous time in the game because you can't have a move back in chess. If you make a move or touch a piece, that's it after four hours of activity you could uh, win or lose a game on just one split second decision so it's very important to have your wits about you when you're doing all of that I used to always get very nervous when I was winning because I knew that it was only a mistake by me would stop me winning the game and that made me quite nervous at the end of it you know somebody at snooker or boxing or rugby or soccer and think okay you win and you know you can lick your wounds afterwards but when you lose at chess it's almost like the other guy's smarter than you are so it hurts that much more but at the same time when you win you enjoy it that much more you know Bobby Fischer the famous ex-world champion he used to say that his favorite thing was crushing the other guy's ego 
And I think that's a big part of the game. That's the one thing chess always is, is competitive from day one. You, uh, you're playing your opponent to beat him. And that's the first golden rule. And the game of chess is about capturing your opponent's king. Uh, there are rules that you can't break, but uh, com- competition is the soul of chess. It's to be able to measure yourself against somebody and have a marvellous feeling of uh, satisfaction when you beat them. You could almost class it as a blood sport, really. It's, I can't think of any more vicious games than I've played. You know, I've played all sorts of sports and chess is highly competitive. And there's a lot of people who play it who seem meek and timid on the outside. But this other side of them comes out of the chessboard where they nearly kill you to get the point. It's a bit like poker. If uh, it doesn't hurt to lose, well, then you won't enjoy it. So when you play it, it must hurt you if you lose. And that's the competitive streak that stays in you. I suppose. Well, maybe I'm unusual, but I still would have that competitive streak at this stage. And, well, there was a young lad I played. He was only nine when he came over here first. And he beat me. And he beat uh, a few other top Irish players when he was nine years old. But he lost a game in a tournament a year or two later and he threw the clock at the arbiter. And then I saw him at another tournament in Cork once and he punched one of the arbiters. So he didn't take defeat too kindly. But again, in a way, that's an asset. And he became a grandmaster when he was very young. I've had people upset the board and walk off. I've had uh, people threatening my life. You kind of need that drive and motivation. Maybe not to that extent that you're going to start throwing the furniture at people. But I think the better players really hate losing and find it hard to cope with. So as a result, they work hard not to lose. position in chess you can make a possible 20 first moves two by each pawn and there are eight of them that's 16 and four by the two knights now if your opponent has the same that's 400 possible positions after one move each an interesting statistic that i heard when i was a kid um, i used to watch this record breakers program on the bbc in the 70s it was roy castle and the two mcquirters who did the guinness book of records and somebody asked they used to they had a feature where they would ask these two guys from the guinness book of records uh, various questions would be phoned in and so on for them and one person phoned in and said how many possible moves are there on the chessboard and something i've always remembered and they said it's if you put one on a board and put 121 knots after it that are the number of possible games or possible moves on a chessboard. And um, it just shows how fascinating it is. It's as near to infinity as you can get, because if you think about it, say the American national debt is 14 trillion, which involves 12 knots. Uh, and if you could just imagine, have another 113, 114 knots after that, just gives you this, the idea of how vast the game actually is. But, uh, you know, in practical terms, if you have a plan, you can eliminate a lot of the ridiculous moves and just follow your plan, which makes it much narrower. But you need to think uh, deeply, and the best way you can do that is to focus your thoughts along a direction. I've got to defend against this fellow because he's threatening that, or I can get him if I do this. And so your plan is focusing around furthering whatever you have in mind. But I think with chess, the, the main 
thing about it is is that there's no luck involved. There's no bounce of a ball. There's no wind affecting your shot. There's no no excuses. It's there in front of you. You make the decision. If you lose, you can't blame anybody else or any outside factor. It's your fault. And in the same way, it's probably the one area in life where you really get justice. You know, in in everyday life, there's so much injustice. You see it from government decisions down to financial goings-on and so on, that things affect your life you've no control over. You know, you might have trouble paying your mortgage after working all your life and doing nothing wrong, and because some clown who was running the country made a mess of it, you suffer. But at the chessboard, it's all down to you. You either succeed or fall by your your own decisions. of countries in the world actually get government recognition as a sport. Well, in Australia, I had trouble getting a visa. And the only avenue left to me was if they could recognise me as a top sportsman. So because I was a good chess player and because I was, I had a job teaching if I wanted it, uh, we applied under that category. And the Australian government said that chess wasn't a sport. But we got the Olympic Committee to assure them that it was. And I eventually got a visa under the sports category. So the Australian government recognised it as a sport. The government has refused to give us any funding towards chess on the basis that they've defined uh, a sport as uh, something moving in it. And they don't regard chess as moving. And so bridge and chess have been left out of the total funding of the lottery and of the sports council. Well, what's a sport? A sport to me is a contest between two people. I mean, I would see marbles as a sport or, or tiddlywings as a sport. It's uh, an activity or a, a game that involves um, thinking, psychology, and involves some physical aspect as well. But I wouldn't see uh, the lack of one of those as excluding a sport because I think there is enough sufficient physical activity uh, in um, in chess to justify it being uh, talked of as a sport. For example, darts is not exactly a very energetic sport. Most of the people you see playing darts tend to be quite overweight and so on. Uh, There's very little physical activity. They they say that once you pass 35, you're past your peak at chess. And a lot of that is because of the physical demands as well as the mental demands. People think it's an old man's game, but really it's not. Though I know in my own son's case, um, he played basketball right through second level because the chess as well, he found the two very complementary. And that's something I'm very interested in as well, that I think if you're physically fit, you will play better chess. And uh, because I think you will, um, you'll be able to concentrate for longer when the pressure comes on in games and so on. You'll be able to think through uh, more clearly than you would be if you weren't as fit. Uh, and I think that's something that I've noticed myself as well, that when your fitness levels are high, you're more alert when it's crucial. Chess is exhausting. Now, I, I would often play 36 holes of golf in a day. And I mean, I'm a couple of stone overweight. And even if I was playing in a hilly course, I wouldn't be half as tired after that as I would after a day playing chess. It's very, very demanding. And the top players in the world are, are physically very fit. Interestingly enough, uh, as one of our own uh, chess players, he's um, 
based in the UK now, but he did some research on sports psychology and so on. He was doing um, some studies on that. And he actually uh, found some research where people's physical reactions were measured during a chess game, where you measured the blood pressure, you measured the adrenaline flow and so on, the change in the, the all the chemical mix that happens in the bodies when you're doing sport. And he found that um, when you, particularly when it comes to the end of a game where it's very, very tense and you're under pressure and so on, that the amount of adrenaline that was pumped, the amount of calories that were burnt up and so on during a chess game were similar to what you would do in tennis or golf. Which Now, maybe that says something about tennis and golf as sports, I don't know. But the point was this, the physiological changes in the body when you're playing chess were similar to physical sports. Uh, so it does mean that uh, even though it apparently is sedentary, the actual physical changes in the body that are happening during chess games are actually similar to some other sports as well. So I think that was a very interesting, interesting concept, interesting finding. There is no real way for older people to learn chess and yet we, we have a lot of senior citizens uh, outlets and um, there's always people who will teach it. You're never too late to learn chess. Chess is unusual and like other sports where you're playing rugby or Gaelic or football or whatever, basketball, whatever it is, when you get to your 30s and the bones start to creak and so on, you can't really play anymore, you then get a huge pool of people who want to uh, help with the administration, help with the coaching and so on in those sports because they want to keep their involvement going when they can't play. Chess is different in that once you learn, it's a game for life. In my own club, for example, our oldest member is nearly 90 and we have young kids coming in who are five or six just learning how to play. And the beauty of a lot of chess tournaments is that when you see the range of ages that are playing, you might have a child who's seven or eight maybe making their Holy Communion next year and they're playing somebody who might be 70 or 80. And because uh, it's a universal game, it doesn't necessarily have to be played through their age groups. It's played by the capacity and ability that the players have. And some children will be very good at the game and they will uh, play very, very well. They will get a, a good rating, a good play to a good standard very quickly, and then they end up playing the adults very early on. So any uh, weekend chess tournament would have different groups, different age groups, but all playing together. Uh, and it's just very fascinating when you see a seven or eight-year-old playing a 70-year-old. It just looks so incongruous. There's no such thing as a handicap. Uh, a blind person, uh, a deaf person, a person uh, with uh, physical disabilities. We can all play. And so that's the biggest leveller. And we can all play on a level playing pitch. And and this is something that's absolutely marvellous about the game. We we have people coming in in, in wheelchairs, in uh, with, with, with uh, white sticks, and we have a few people, uh, you know, who have no limbs. They can all play, and and some of them are very good. I I just thinking about a good friend of mine, Sean Loftus. He's about my age, and I played him first when I was fifteen, and he's still playing, and he's blind. An unusual feature of chess, and it's not just in Ireland, but it's worldwide. There are very few women that actually play chess, which is kind of unusual. The top, uh, the world's top woman player is one of the three Polgar sisters. 
people might have familiar they might have heard the name because in the uh, mid 80s the late 80s three sisters uh, represented Hungary uh, in the Olympiad and they won they became overnight sensations three teenagers were on the all three sisters were on the uh, Hungarian Olympiad women's team and they won the Olympiad for the first time ever and um, they're all grandmasters now but the strongest one uh, Judith Polgar would have at one stage been in the top 10 so she was playing all the uh, against all the, t- the top 100 would be mainly uh, practically all men except for her so she is a, a sort of a symbol if you like it's possible for women to play on an equal basis with men it's just they don't seem that keen on the game really uh, maybe it's just that they have other interests or that boys like the competitive element of it more I'm not sure what the reason is but in principle there's no reason why women couldn't be as good or as competitive as men if they put their minds to it it's just that that's something maybe chess needs to think about as to how to uh, attract more uh, girls and women into the game because that's something that could improve the playing pool and give great enjoyment to a much wider variety of people as well so I think that would be quite important to consider that in the future. That's it for this week's show. Mighty Oaks was produced and edited by me. Dwayne Garbutt provided production help. This episode featured music by Pannington Bear. Our theme tune is Cantina Rag by Jackson F. Smith. Remember that information can be found on donations made to the 50 at 50 event by searching for Alona Madden and clicking on the mycharity.ie link. Please do what you can. It's for a great cause. To listen back to previous episodes of Mighty Oaks, Go to soundcloud.com slash mightyoaks. To subscribe to Mighty Oaks as a podcast, go to feeds.feedburner.com slash mightyoakspodcast or search for Mighty Oaks on iTunes. My name's Owen Hanlon. Thanks very much for listening.